Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew. Let me go back a little bit into the first chapter because I want to read something about Mary and Joseph. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When as his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judea, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced ex with exceeding great joy. And they came into the house, and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him, opening their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the birth of our Savior and for the joy that we have 
of knowing that he came to bring us salvation. We know that the world in which we live is lost and troubled. And even at this Christmas season, so many people are so busy that they miss its true meaning. And so harried and frayed are their nerves that they'll be glad when it's all over with. And yet we pray that you will cause us from missing uh, the real meaning of the Incarnation, that God for us men and for our salvation has come down from heaven, and that you have done this in your Son, the Lord Jesus. And therefore grant that all that music and all that poetry and art can convey may speak to us of the grandeur of this great event, the humility that thou hast shown in stooping to earth that we might be brought to thee and grant that we might have that same mind in us which Christ our Lord assumed that we might serve him more faithfully reflecting your love through him. Receive these gifts which we bring and use every single bit of it to glorify his blessed name Amen. The other night I was watching television on the 700 Club, and to my astonishment I saw a very familiar figure, one who stood right here one time in the front of this communion table and spoke to a large number of young people who were gathered here. At that time, he was a very famous football player named Don Mumaw. I remember they used to have a great yell at the UCLA football games where they would yell, Mumaw, Mumaw. And Don, you could understand it. I remember Piedmont lost his luggage, which is not uncommon, and uh, he was dressed rather bizarrely when he was here, and so he asked uh, if anyone had a size 52 T-shirt. Uh, he only had a size 22 neck, so it was a little bit of trouble to fit him out. But uh, Don spoke. Well, I knew Don uh, when he had gone through Princeton Theological Seminary, and we had met at several congresses on evangelism. In fact, a uh, time or two he used to go with uh, Jeannie Ford. Uh, Jeannie, Gr well, she was Jeannie Graham then. Wouldn't be right. Uh, uh, Jeannie... Uh, back in the olden days, I remember teasing Leighton about this guy. He's a huge football player. Anyway, Don has become a great preacher. And uh, do you know who one of his star parishioners is now? Ronald Reagan. Uh, Reagan goes to the Bel Air Presbyterian Church. And so they were interviewing Don Mumaw the other night on the 700 Club. And they asked him how it felt to be the pastor to the President of the United States. And he gave very good answers. And uh, they said, uh, Pat Robertson, who is an excellent interviewer, said to him, did you have anything special to say to the president after the attempt on his life? And he said, yes. And he said, what did you say? He said, I asked him if he were prepared to meet God. And he said, what did the president say? And he said, the president said, well, there's so much that I want to do that uh, uh, I wanted to remain alive. I did not want to die. I, there's a lot I want to do for the country. And Mumaw said, I didn't ask you that, Mr. President. I asked you 
If that assassin's bullet had taken your life, are you prepared to meet God? Now, can you imagine the boldness of saying that to the president? And he said that President Reagan looked back at him and said, Yes, Don, I can meet God because I have a Savior. You couldn't have given a better answer. Now, that's why Jesus came. That's exactly why he came. He came to be our Savior. And all of those predictions that we have read about in the Old Testament, those scriptures that were prophesying his birth and the signs attendant upon it are meant to teach us that he is the one who brings to us salvation. And that salvation which he brings to us is a satisfaction and a joy. This is one of the great surprises. Uh, that's why C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford Cambridge scholar, who has become such an enormously effective defender of the faith through his writings, uh, who died the same day that John F. Kennedy was killed, November the 22nd, 1963. Uh, C.S. Lewis became a Christian after having been caught up in dreary atheism for years because he saw that Jesus Christ fitted into what God had planned for his universe. And in his book on the miracles, in what he calls the grand miracle, which is the miracle of the incarnation, that is God becoming flesh, let us suppose, he writes, that we possess parts of a novel or a symphony. Someone now brings a newly discovered piece of manuscript and says, this is the missing part of the work. This is the chapter on which the whole plot of the novel really turns. This is the main theme of the symphony. Our business would be to see whether this new passage if admitted to the central place which the discoverer claims for it, did actually illuminate all the parts we had already seen and pull them together. The new passage, if it were false, regardless of how attractive it might look at the first glance, would become harder and harder and harder to reconcile with the rest of the work the longer we considered the matter. Now, how prophetic that is. Our world, if we reject the Lordship of Christ, will become more and more confused. When we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as who he claimed to be, the Son of God incarnate in human flesh, we have, as the President said, a Savior, one who can take us into the presence of God and one who can save our lives through the dreary problems that we have to face with our sinful nature day by day. Every year at this time I receive from the National Institute of Health a little folder that is sent out to bartenders and beauticians and barbers and preachers 
cautioning those of us who have to listen to other people's problems on how to talk people out of committing suicide. Because more people will commit suicide between now and January the 1st than any other time of the year. We are warned about the people who are reclusive and draw aside, about the people who lose their appetites and will not eat, about the people whose posture indicates that uh, they are burdened with much problems. And so we are to talk with them about suicide and to do what we can to keep them from it. When I think about this, I, of course, I, I always tell people don't do it. It's against the law. Um, and it is. Uh, the, the Bible says thou shalt not kill, and that means uh, yourself or any other person. And it's really an outrage against the gift of God because the gift of God is life. And uh, when we do this thing, we have done a, a terrible thing that we cannot undo. And so for Christians, this has always been one of those things which is to be uh, shrunk from. Now, we have to make allowances for people who are out of their minds, but uh, suicide is not an option for a Christian any more than murder is an option for a Christian. Uh, we are to avoid this. But when I think of what you do to assist people, uh, you show that you care. And you show that you care by the love of God. Every time I go to New York City, I think when I have had to drive out to usually be taken out, I don't know the way to drive it, but they send someone to get me. And I go to Ryan, New York, to a foundation that I've worked for in the past, and um, I always pass a bridge, and I think about this when I go there. There was a man by the name of Michael Provoznik, whose job was to paint that bridge. All year long, that's all he does, is just paint on that bridge. He finishes and then starts over and finishes and he starts over. And one Christmas season, he saw a skinny little girl shinnying up on a place, and he looked up from his scaffold where he was painting and saw her, and he realized that she was going to jump into the river below. And Michael Provoznik, who is a devout Roman Catholic Christian, heart grew cold and he shouted to the top of his voice, Stop! And she screamed back at him, It's no use. No one loves me. No one cares for me. I'm all alone. I'm in New York City. I have no money. I'm hungry. I'm cold. And she was crying. And do you know what Michael Provoznik did? He prayed to God quickly to give him the brains to say something that would cause her to stop. And do you know what he said? I got a quarter. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And she stopped and said, will you come up and get me? <laughs> and he went up and got her and brought her down and bought her a cup of coffee and got some people who assisted her and saved her life. He was a protector of life. He stopped someone in a moment of weakness because he cared. And what our scripture teaches us today 
is that we are surprised by the joy that God brings into our life when he stops us to, shows, to show us that he cares for us. When a person takes their own life, Gilbert Chesterton says that they bring the ultimate insult to God because God is the giver of life. And uh, when we take life away, we insult him because he gave us life. Actually, he says something that has interested me because if you have to, I don't know how many of you have ever read G.K. Chesterton's books, uh, Orthodoxy or The Everlasting Man or some of the others, but they're uh, very interesting books. He says, I find myself in this dispute. He's talking about people who are arguing in the London Times about the right to commit suicide. I find myself in this dispute utterly hostile to men who call themselves liberal and humane. Not only is suicide a sin, it is the sin. It is the ultimate and absolute evil. The refusal to take an interest in existence. The refusal to take the oath of loyalty to life. The man who kills a man kills a man. The man who kills himself kills all men. And then he goes on and tells about a thief. He says a suicide is worse than a thief because a thief is satisfied with diamonds, but the suicide is not. And that's the crime. He cannot be bribed even by the blazing stones of the heavenly city. The thief compliments the thing he, he steals, if not the owner of them. That's a good little saying. Have you ever thought about that? If your bike is stolen, the thief has complimented your choice of bike. He has not complimented you. So, he's, so he says the thief compliments the thing that he steals. He is able to spot a real diamond. He doesn't bother with stealing costume jewelry. So he compliments the thing he steals, if not the owner. Now listen to this. But the suicide insults everything on earth by not feeling it. He defiles every flower that God has made by refusing to live for its sake. And then, of course, he says that there are people uh, who are out of their reason who may do this, but he is mainly hitting people who make that as a conscious choice, as if it were a good choice to make. And... Uh, this is to show us that the salvation which God has brought to us is to surprise us by joy. It's a surprise by joy. That's why children are always looking forward to opening their presents at Christmas. They want to open the parcel to see what's in it, to see if they'll be surprised by what, what they're going to get. When you think about God and what he has done for us. He wrapped up a parcel for us, a Savior in human flesh. The last hymn we sing this morning, we'll sing, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. Veiled in flesh, that's the wrapping that God put around this. And who does he bring this gift to? 
Well, it was a surprise to Mary. Behold, the angel told her that she would conceive, and through the miracle of the agency of the Holy Spirit without any earthly father, as predicted in the Old Testament hundreds of years before, she would give birth to the Son of God. He did not choose some famous palace in which this son of his was to be born, but he showed his great strength by seeing to it that his son is born in a stable. And the first people to come there are shepherds. The other night at the house when we, by the way, that was some open house, one poor guy came to the door and said, I think you've bit off more than you can chew and left. Uh, we had a lot of people there, but it was funny. Uh, we talked about the kinds of people who came, and these shepherds are interesting people. Shepherds couldn't even testify in a court of law because they got mixed up what is thine with what is mine. And uh, uh, they uh, had a reputation, and, and these shepherds were night shift shepherds. They had low seniority, and they had to work at night when everyone else was in uh, the city of Bethlehem or in the city of Jerusalem, which was only six miles from Bethlehem. Uh, it was a time when there was a great taxation, so there would have been big festivities, and only the lowliest of shepherds would have had to work on that night, uh, and yet they were working. And the angels appeared to them. And the angels sang them an anthem. We have all this Christmas music, and I think about the, the extravagance of God and the angels uh, coming to sing to a group of country bumpkins who are the lowest of the shepherds out there in the field. What a surprise God brings. Can you imagine God going up into the mountains where there are some woodcutters and bringing the Robert Shaw Chorale and the Norman Luboff Choir and singing to them? They don't even appreciate good music. Uh, and yet this is what happens. Uh, God is luxurious, and God brings uh, the angels to sing to them. And it scared the daylights out of them. They were surprised. And it says that they were afraid. And, and the angels were very wonderful. The angels said, don't be afraid, fellas. Don't go running off. We want you to hear the rest of our song. And then we want you to go to Bethlehem and go see the little baby that's born the Son of God, the Son of Mary, and the Son of God. And then there is a surprise at those who come, the wise men who have come from great distances. And they come to the city of Jerusalem first, and they go to the palace of Herod because they understood that they were coming to visit a newborn king. I think they must have assumed that en route they would have found a whole lot of pilgrims journeying toward Jerusalem because that was the capital city. And I have a big thick book which I meant to bring out here and you better be glad I didn't bring it. it it's a, a big book on, on Herod. And uh, they've done a lot of research into Herod the Great, who was king at this time, from 37 uh, B.C. until four uh, uh, years after the birth of Christ. 
This Herod the Great uh, was very rich. He was made by the Roman uh, Senate and people uh, a friend of Caesar officially, and he was sort of a puppet uh, person that had been put in authority there, but he had enormous influence with Rome, and as a result of it, it built a huge palace. And uh, when these wise men would have shown up at that palace and would have inquired of Herod, where is he that is born to be king of the Jews? Herod would have questioned him immediately. Uh, king of the Jews? Why, of course, let me see. Uh, what are you talking about? Then he called in his people who were supposed to be experts in the Old Testament scriptures. They had a theological committee that met. And they read in Micah the prophecy that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And they said, oh yes, he is to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. That this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah. And so these strangers left. These wise men went on to Bethlehem, which was only six miles away. But the wonder of wonders is that none of these big shot theologians who knew the Old Testament scriptures apparently went to Bethlehem to see the newborn baby. That none of the great theological committee is possible to be a great theologian and not even a Christian at all. They knew all about this, but they didn't go there. And then these wise men go. They go following a star and they find the child and they present him with the great gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And I think they must have been startled and surprised. It says that they were full of joy when they found the child. And yet they must have been startled by the humility of it all. Joseph, who was the protector for Mary, was only a carpenter, a working man. Mary was probably not more than 15 or 16 years of age. And yet look at the humility of it all. God is born in a cattle shed. Pascal said years ago, a proud man would have died had not a lowly God found him. He humbles himself so greatly that he extends himself to us here. And this to me is one of the most wonderful things in the whole world, that we are to be surprised by this joy they rejoiced, and they were told by an angel to go back another way, and they return another way. This year in our Christmas letter, uh, <laughs> my wife says that people don't like to read these mimeographed Christmas letters and that we ought to quit sending them out, but I don't know any other way to write people that I only write once a year anyway. Uh, but we send this out. Uh, and uh, I put in it uh, uh, this year an ancient canticle 
a, a song. There are about six songs in the Gospel of Luke, um, Christmas songs. But during the Middle Ages, there were many, and Benjamin Britten, who died in 1976, a great musician over in England, went back and brought, took some of these ancient canticles and set them to music. And in these, uh, he chose one uh, in the Ceremony of the Carols, which I think is particularly beautiful. Uh, and I want to uh, read a part of it to you because it shows the surprise and the joy that comes. Now, we're thinking today about Poland and about what's going to happen to all those remarkable Christians who are so brave there under the heel of Russia. And Benjamin Britten takes an ancient carol on the day that Christ was born, and he says this about that little baby. The little babe so few days old is come to rifle Satan's hold. That means he'll come and tear all of Satan's uh, fort to pieces. Jesus Christ is the thief who has come literally to set us free from the enemy. I remember seeing the film Oliver Twist and Bill Sykes would take that little boy and lift him up and put him through the window to go in and steal. Well, God has taken a little baby and put him through the window to come into Satan's home. And that baby is going to take away Satan's uh, power. He has come to rifle Satan's home. And then there's a bass note that comes in from the Old Testament. And that song of Zacharias, which uh, you can read in the Gospel of Luke, yearning for the redemption of Israel and grappling with the hardship through which the Jews have been under. All hell doth at his presence quake, though he himself for coal doth shake. In other words, this tiny little infant is such a baby that he trembles in the cold weather, and yet that little trembling baby will make all of hell shake. Talk about a defense policy. God's got one. For in this week, unarmed wise, the gates of hell he will surprise. No one else could have sneaked up on it this way. With tears, this little infant, with tears he fights and wins the field. His naked breast stands for a shield. His battering shocks are babies' cries. His arrows looks of weeping eyes. His martial ensigns cold and mean, feeble flesh his warrior steed. And then the next line is really moving. His tit, his tent, is pitched in a stall. At first glance, you say to yourself, how can this little baby, born in a manger, possibly be a match for all of the brooding, dark concerns that come upon the world. The fear of death and destruction and sin. Let me go back again to where I began with Don Mumo and his question to the present. It's a good question for you to ask. 
If you died today and you went into the presence of God before this day is finished, how do you think you would stand? Could you say with the present, it would be all right because I have a Savior. I have one who came and bore my sins on the cross and whom God raised from the dead and he lives and reigns and he is the one who has broken Satan's walls down and he is the one who has won the victory for me and he is the one who brings comfort to me at Christmas time. No wonder C.S. Lewis, when he knelt at Magdalen College and admitted that God was God and that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be and became a Christian, said that he was surprised by joy, that it was the great joy that came to him that surprised him. Let us bow in prayer. O oh God, our Father, we thank you that in these last days you have spoken unto us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, so there can be no mistaking it, that this is an event, and that it is surrounded by events that have caused us to know that the price and the cost of our salvation is great. Nothing else fits, nothing else will fit. He is the central piece, and with him missing, life has no meaning at all. Help us to know this, and to take our bearings by this, and to live our lives out according to him. We pray that you will guide us through this Advent season by knowing afresh the true meaning of his coming. And by this making a difference in the style and the manner and the way in which we think and behave and live. So that others may see that for us Christ is Lord. We ask this in his name and for his glory.